Welcome to Post Apocalyptic. This is Rob. This is John. In a brief check-in with uh, Shia, just yeah. uh, we'll just talk really quickly. He has two trailers out. I think he he might be coming back. I think he's 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 that durable, like wigged out uh, star that yeah. just he won't he won't go away. Right. And you think that he has because you think he's trying to. You kind of think he's self-destructing. Yeah. And usually in uh, in Hollywood, you don't even have to self-destruct. It's yeah. just like you're the flavor of the month. Yeah. You know, there are a few Brad Pitts, Leonardo's, yeah. and all those guys who just stay relevant throughout. But if you, especially today, yeah. if you self-destruct, you're gone. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he just keeps coming back. Like, there's something, there's something in him, you know? I, and I guess he knows it, but, like... You know, he's, he's he's still troubled, but I think it say? comes down to he's a great actor, yeah. And I think that, and also too, it it balances on what your troubles are to what people will accept. You know, it's not like he's just a troubled dude. He had more of an alcohol problem than a drug problem, um, mm-hmm. and he was just you know started off young, terrible childhood, which we'll find out in Honey Boy, which looks amazing. We talked about it, I think, a year ago when we right. read about oh Shy is playing his dad in a movie about himself that he wrote and it's like i can't wait and then you see the trailer and you're like oh my god this looks amazing and he's and he's bringing it you know he's and that's the thing about him like ever since he wasn't even a kid like he 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 brought it you know and that's sort of why he got you know cast very young but he's he's all in and i guess no matter what he does you know um he's all in yeah so you know i have friends who run-ins with him uh in real life and uh he's just he's that guy he's hardcore he's all in he's just reckless and um you know it's do it i mean that's just what he (laughs) really goes yeah that's his uh he's what you think nicholas cage is probably like the whole time but nicholas cage i think is only like that generally on film when he's acting he's eclectic nicholas cage but i don't think he's explosive like we want to hope he is like he's ordering a coffee and he just goes mental about ordering coffee we think i think he just exists and he's weird whereas shia i think is 100 shia all the time i agree i agree i you know i never really made that i can't believe that i never made that correlation between nick and shia but he's the new nick yeah except for a little more extreme irl yeah you know um yeah because you know, he told he told that like he's actually a really great storyteller. I mean, he was telling story about how he had a drink with a random guy, went to this burlesque club, and just kept drinking and drinking, and <clears throat> it's really well told. Um, but it was just like a tale from this guy who just is comfortable, you know, with the sort of extreme and sort of pushing the limits and pushing the boundaries and always going, going, yeah. going. And you can see that, you know, you can see that in the performance, you know, I guess in both of these movies, he's, he brings it, you yeah. know? So, you and, know. And I just hear like the only things I've heard rumor wise from these things, like there were some people talking that have worked on the movies. It's like, yeah, he's just in it. Mm-hmm. Like he's just kind of, you know, he's not Daniel Day Lewis, where everyone has to wear the period outfits and only speak to him. I am yet to refer to me as Lincoln. Right. <laughs> Whatever, Daniel Day Lewis. But once again, you get a great performance from right. Daniel Day Lewis. But I think Shia just gets in the role, and he's just in it. 
It's like, I'm here. Yeah. Let's do this. Do it. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, no, good for him. You know, he goes hard and, and that stuff, like, you know, like the camera doesn't lie, records everything. And if you put your heart and soul into it, that will come across. And and it does. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm excited, though, because it's like, I, I mean, we always say it's like as much as we've always sort of given him like little grief on our on our pod it's like he's a good actor and that's the one thing you can't take away from him yeah like, and he, he's good and, and you're not gonna take your eyes off of him. no i mean it's just like when you're watching him on screen it's just like okay wow this guy is really really going hard yeah and interested excuse me interesting to see um honey boy because you know this is this is really personal yeah obviously and playing his own father and the sort of dynamic that they have at least presented in the trailer. It's like some hard stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm sure it's probably hard playing that, you know, yeah. probably really emotional yeah. for him. Um, but I, I don't know, maybe shy. He's like, it's another day. I don't know yeah. with him, but yeah, I'm like, I, I want to say, I mean, irrespective of anything that happens in, yeah. in his personal life, it's just, I'm, excited to see these two to see his performance to yeah. see what he's going to do you're always wondering shia oh what's he going to do yeah. in this so there's that factor as well yeah i'm waiting for him to just do something like wacky now like a weird wacky movie like because i mean if you look at the last like five they've all they're like serious shia like there's no fun in his movie i mean they look good like i actually i think peter butter peanut peanut butter falcon, falcon yeah. looks kind of fun like he seems like he's having an okay yeah. time but i want to see him just do a what is it like a Judd Apatow comedy? That'd be interesting because I think he can do it and just be lightheartedly funny. Do you think he would? Was there a time? Do you think he could do that now? He being Nick Cage could do an Apatow comedy. Yes, okay. I think he still has it in him because there's some moments where he is lighthearted in a movie, and I think he right. is. That's true. He just his choices are just like I'm doing a movie. I don't think he cares anymore. Like you look at just the next ten films coming out, they're the most. They're just all over the map. Like it's, it's just like, what are you even doing? I, he's collecting a paycheck, is what he's doing. But he's just in it. He doesn't care. Like I don't think he cares about the craft <laughs> it's, anymore. It's I think it's he's true. just working. Yeah. Um, but I guess the latest, at least the latest. I don't know if it's the latest movie, but the latest trailer that I've seen. Um, just the movie title. Yeah. A, a score to settle. Right. It's like, we can't say revenge. We can't say, I mean, what's another way to say every other type of premise that, you know, Nick Cage movie is, it's like every movie is the same. It's a score to settle. We go, yeah, we, I, you didn't have to give us a title. You could have just showed us the poster art, uh, which is just his face and go, Oh, He's got a score to settle. Hell, it's revenge. Yeah. Oh, he's got his uh, retrieve his kidnapped daughter, and everybody's gonna die. And it's in, like okay. in the pitch, it's like, all right, so Nick Cage. They don't even refer to his character. You know, he's got to settle a score. All right, that's the yeah. title. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I think that's what it should do with uh, Adele, like where she was naming all her albums after the age she was when she mm-hmm. recorded them, or like Led Zeppelin one, two. They should just be called Nick Cage eight. That, that, that's how they should name these movies now. Like I would love that. He was in it. It's like it's Nick Cage forty two. Yeah. Oh man, much better than forty one. You know, it's just they they're not in any sort of sequence. It's just the next one. It's like an epic like series of movies of yeah. You really probably could rename retitle them that. Yeah, it's like, like his cinematic universe box set. Yeah, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah. Because I actually there was another trailer that just came out 
with Nick Cage in it, but it's one of the bigger casts too. Like, I mean, Ooh, a lot right. of mid-level stars, like yeah, I was like was Leslie Bibb, uh, Aaron Eckhart, like those type of mm-hmm. nothing bad, just that level right, of right. people. And it, it's another one where he plays like a, I think a dirty FBI agent or an FBI agent that is trying to bust a dirty one. But his wardrobe choice is awesome. It is. <laughs> Like tan khaki pants, tucked mm-hmm. in shirt with like a members only jacket. And you know he just showed up because it does not fit with the rest <laughs> of the movie. He just sort of showed up. You know that's his own <laughs> that's his own wardrobe. It's like I think this is what the character would be. Yeah, I'm gonna wear this. Okay. Do you have doubles of it? No. Alright, we'll try to find some doubles because yeah. I think you get shot in this one. I don't. Okay. <laughs> it's some vintage store trying to find, you know, doubles of his, his personal wardrobe. He comes in the next day for to continue a scene with a different outfit. Right. <laughs> ah, just make it work. Uh, post, uh, that's where their budget goes. They have all these visual effects and it's just for that. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I hope, uh, I hope Honey Boy and um, Peanut Butter Peanut Falcon are good. I mean, they look good. Yeah. Like, I mean, no, they, they get a theatrical release. At least he's not at that straight to video release yeah like or streaming and at theaters okay i got the hookup <laughs> <laughs> i think honey boy is amazon so um it'll get a theatrical release but mm-hmm. as soon as it's available for obviously they have the streaming rights yeah. as soon as it's available uh, for streaming it'll be on amazon prime i mean do you think this is quickly. the one where he's going for the uh the award season i mean it's coming out a little later personal I story don't know. <laughs> you know because it's personal i can probably say maybe or probably or probably mm-hmm. he has a hand in that yeah i don't think he cares about that otherwise that's more the studio but yeah yeah i just would love to see even though he can he can dial it down too and be normal yeah i would love to see an oscar speech from shia he just goes up there and you're like oh yeah, yeah. you're just like here we go yeah. i don't know what's gonna happen he goes up there just a single tear rolls and he just thanks every i just like to thank everyone and walks off and you're like well, that's good, but I thought you were going to go up there and just go nuts. Right. <laughs> his dad, I mean, this thing, like if it was Honey Boy, like his dad. Yeah. I'm sure he's already rehearsed it. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, he'd probably go up there as his dad, like in that weird. He goes to <laughs> it as his dad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, probably has like a wife beater and, you know, that weird. He's just in it. <laughs> was it the, uh, like how they had that, uh, was it at the Emmys when there was a Teddy? from atlanta yeah teddy teddy um perkins yeah yeah totally yeah i was gonna say yeah yeah exactly (laughs) why is he dressed as his dad in the just like an intense stare and he's just like yeah he's like yeah this is from oh but he goes up there as his dad and he's like i'd like to accept this for my son and he's still ungrateful like like, berates him up there (laughs) it's like wow he's really in it <laughs> I am going to campaign so hard for right. this movie to, to win the Oscar. Yeah, I hope I get a screening of it because, I mean, I want to see it in right. general, but I would like to just, like, see it without trailers. Just go to the theater, full, everyone there. Yeah. Because you know? I don't want to go to the Lemley. It's like, oh, it's just me. It's like when we saw that Orson Welles film, it's like, really? Just four people in the theater, I huh? Know. This is, uh, you know, Orson Welles' lost masterpiece. Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, you would think Orson Welles. Yeah. At least here in L.A., they would, you know, come out. Especially on opening weekend. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, it's it's a Netflix movie. And at that time, I could attribute it to that. Yeah. But I saw Roma twice in yeah. the theaters. And it was obviously on Netflix the same day, at the same time. 
but both instances and they were like two weeks apart yeah. were packed well and that's the thing i just figured with that um with the orson wells it's just like it would be like more of the not just old but like the older hollywood mm-hmm. people just like even people that are like mid, mid 50s or 60s like well, i need to see this at the theater it's orson wells these are the people that probably don't even have netflix right that don't even understand what netflix is <laughs> totally and, and and also the 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 movie buffs and the quote-unquote filmmakers who are you know serious filmmakers who probably won't make a movie but you know they regard themselves as serious and they want to just be in the theater to say look you know uh i've i've seen the norris and wells film the way it should be seen you know in the theater so i i was a little surprised but do we go during the afternoon or do we go to an evening we went in the afternoon. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, once again, I think we went. I think we went on the day to open. I think right? so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we went to like I think a four o'clock or okay. something. So maybe that night it was packed. It wasn't. But I'm gonna <laughs> say it was packed. Ron Howard. It wasn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everything always just works. It wasn't. Um, do you think? I wonder if there's gonna be. I thought there'd be more of a resurgence, but I guess most everyone's films have been released. There's no finding anyone's film anymore. Other than, like, just vaulting old films that, you know, were released or just vaulted. But I don't think anyone, any more contemporaries have films that are unseen. Um, I think there may be some out there. Um, maybe unfinished. This one was unfinished. Right. But, but completely um, shot. But completely yeah. shot. I think if they are out there, there's sort of a huge campaign or has been yeah. a huge campaign to get them out. Yeah. And if it hasn't happened, it's, you know, it's always, you can point to guys. You can, if there's something that's frustrating, if something's not out, something's not happening. Um, you're wondering why you have to wait a week to stream the last episode of your favorite sitcom yeah. or whatever. It's always a legal reason. Yeah. So, other than yeah. that, you know, I mean, people will release stuff. I mean, because the cachet and the profile yeah. that, you know, something like that has, like, if you had a, a Hitchcock or yeah. some sort of John Ford lost film. Yeah. I mean, that's that's something that obviously would garner some attention. So yeah. they would try to get that out. But Yeah, and most of his legal battles were just unpaid bills more than anything, too. Like, I think the French vault or whatever. So yeah. I don't think it was like totally. an actor thing. Orson or, Welles, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I think, too, like if you get something older, it's not going to be – I think it's more of just putting together. It's like, do you want to put the money to put it together? But you would feel like with like a like a Hitchcock, oh, my God, we found an unfinished. But I think people by now would know. Like people knew Other Side of the Wind existed, just no one knew where it was. Yeah, I mean, again, yes, that's – if, is there a similar situation with another uh, great director? I, don't, I I'm, Yeah, I, don't I mean, know. I can't imagine like, oh, that we found an unreleased Spielberg. It's like, well, that doesn't seem <laughs> that possible. Would be amazing. Just because it feels like you would know. Yeah. You know, like there would be some sort of trivia I think we would know. It's like, oh, he worked on it. Nothing happened. Because I would imagine it would be out by now. Yeah. And if not, it'd be like, oh, here's his childhood films. Okay. You know, when he was shooting Super 8 in his backyard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but that that's amazing. The lost Spielberg. That would be amazing because he's still alive. And yeah. He could literally put anything he, like legal. When I say legal stuff, like that doesn't apply to Spielberg. Yeah. So. Yeah, he would be like, you know what? I want that movie finished. Okay. Yeah. 
he's responsible for movies that had complicated legal battles in them. Um, one being Roger Rabbit, um, with all the different licensing of yeah. all the different um, animated characters, which no other director could have um, opened the keys to that kingdom mm-hmm. um, because he has like a relationship and he's a box just. Yeah. most successful director all that same with ready player one he would not have anything in the vault unless he just wanted it buried yeah you know um because he could just literally just get on the phone and say release yeah and they would have a theatrical release yeah i figure like he takes a meeting it's like i want to talk about this film they go to his office and they just see all his posters all right i guess we'll just uh i guess you know what you're doing <laughs> exactly um no, but it would be interesting to dig up something. Um, I don't know about the famous directors because I'm sure they're just. I, I feel a like anyone alive now, there isn't a Francis Ford Coppola, there isn't a Martin Scorsese, there isn't a like a Tarantino, obviously, because he numbers his films. Right. It's like, hey, well, how do we go from six to nine? Oh yeah, we don't talk about those middle ones, you yeah. know. So it's just it would have to just be. I'm sure there's a lot of films. There's a lot of films that get shelved in the '80s just due to like money or there's definitely things like i mean even like bill and ted the first one was shelved for a year right and then they were i guess we'll release it which that just seems weird that someone just revisited it like did they go to their shelf oh yeah this bill and ted thing because it wasn't like any of them got more popular because that's usually what happens right like all of a sudden it's like you go to the video store and all of a sudden you realize there was a texas chainsaw movie with you know matthew mcconaughey and you're like right there was (laughs) And it's like, yeah, no, that was one of those little films he did when he was starting out. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I get it. Right. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, like that's the only time those type of films get either resurfaced or off the shelf. Someone's like, who's the big star right now? Oh, my God. We had him when he was nobody, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's – you're right. That's sort of the only reason why certain some of these do get resurfaced. I mean, for different reasons, right? Yeah. Actors, directors. Um, I do remember – Going to, did you go to the Stanley Kubrick? No, we missed it. Okay. No, we weren't here. That was it. We weren't here when that was out. Okay. We were in Washington at the time. Um, Well, I was in the other Washington. Okay. And I flew. Yeah, we should have. Did I I fly back for it? Or was it just, I flew back for something else and it just happened to be here. And I went. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Um, So if it. You know, resurfaces. Definitely. Well, that was the yeah. thing. Literally, actually, it was funny. We talked about it last night because it's in London. Okay. Like, should we just go? It's like, that's not a quick trip. Like, yes, I want to. Yeah. But you going from D.C. to here to go to an exhibit is different than right. flying from here to. Right. Because I was like, I just saw an ad for it. And I was like, where did I see it? Okay, in London. Yeah. It's not in London. Um, but <clears throat> it's great. And so... They go through all his movies. Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of an exhaustive um, uh, display of his stuff, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, but one of the most interesting for me, and it's all interesting, but one of the most interesting things for me was um, the, all the work that he did for Napoleon, the movie, mm-hmm. that never got made. Okay. Um, and so, though it's not a film, yeah. and there's no you know moving image or anything like that, but just to see all of the notes and the volumes of of um, different uh, research materials and different things that that you know he, the different lengths he went to make that movie and mm-hmm. this is years and years of work. Um, 
was really interesting. I mean, it's, again, it's not a film, yeah. but that was interesting to see someone of that stature, yeah. you know, to see that, like, he was pretty much ready to go on a film that we would have probably loved to yeah. see. Um, well, yeah, that's a, that's interesting because I remember when we saw, not us, but when I saw Lincoln, or maybe we did see Lincoln, I don't know, one of those <laughs> where... I remember it was the Q&A, and they talked about, oh, we've been trying to make this film for 10 years. But I think that's a lot different than Kubrick trying to make a film. It, how things are now to then. Like, he was working on it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think what happens here is it's like, we bought the rights. We're going to do a Lincoln movie. Great. We're going to base it on this book. Okay. Then you you, you, ha- you hash out to someone that writes a script. They get it back. We're like, oh, I don't know. We could... Director fell through. Then it sits for a while. Like, I feel like Kubrick was probably working on this. Yeah, you know, for a while, and then it just doesn't happen. I think those movies where they always go, oh, it took us eight years to make this. This isn't a mid-70s, 60s, where they were working on it for eight years. Because there, there are those things. Like, or even, I guess, Other Side of the Wind. Orson Welles worked on it for four years in right. chunks. Where it's not like Lincoln was like, no, we were eight-hour days for ten years making Lincoln. All right, well, that's just a terrible return on right. your money. And I think you get to it, okay, I think we got everyone. Then it kind of falls through and then it's like a different director comes in or it's like another project comes up or that studio gets bought like because like all the Fox stuff that's disappearing because of the Disney, you know, Mm -hmm. and that could come up again. And then it's like, oh, we started this eight years ago when Fox was still Fox before Fox was Disney. So I think I know it's just a weird thing like you're saying that with um, Kubrick where I feel like he was working on it, not like passively like he was. I'm working. This is my next film. I know. I think there may have been a script or some script pages. I can't remember. But it was a lot of work. And it was, you know, not, oh, we'll base it on this book. Or, yeah. It was <clears throat> pretty legit. Like, he was pretty much ready to go on it. It would have been a very epic, obviously, um, movie. Just a side note, I was watching um, a Kubrick um, it was an interview. They were interviewing Scorsese and Kubrick's. Uh, widow okay um and she was they were talking about eyes wide shut and he uh, sorry she said that eyes wide shut was the next film he was gonna make after 2001 he was like he was pretty much ready to make that movie and um uh, he obviously didn't until later but uh he's like he had the script had everything already yeah you know and it's like wow that like who would he put in it I, then I you don't know? know i don't know I, she, she didn't go into that detail but it was interesting to know that that his last movie was already sort of in the works would have been his like fourth there. movie yeah. or something like that like it's right. like his last one was actually yeah shelf somewhere else and so it's just interesting to know to see how the methodology of you know these sort of directors artists mm-hmm. geniuses that you know, for whatever reason, they redirect into something yeah. else. Um, be it, you know, the times, uh, politics, or whatever, you know, sways them in a different direction. But I have to think that those directors back then worked harder than, you yeah. know, directors today. Because just to see the amount of work. I mean, we're talking Kubrick. Yeah, we're, we're Kub- also Kubrick, like cherry picking yeah, the top this, of the top. This is not like, it, there were a lot of directors. Yeah. And they all didn't, you know, yeah. s- spend 14 years of their life just doing this one movie and yeah. just going, oh, well, no, I'm just scrapping it and do yeah. 2001. Yeah. You know. Because that one's easier. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to do this one first because I'm just going to knock this one out and then do my story one. Exactly. You know? 
So, and, and that's the thing. It's 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 just it's amazing. And Kubrick is just like he has the time. Yeah. Not to turn this into a Kubrick fest, but he has the time to do it. And his producer yeah. was there too at the interview, and he was just like, he we he just had the time. He yeah. just had the time to do it right. And uh, I guess he tells a story where you know Sidney Pollock, you know, was in Eyes Wide Shut. They were in that scene. I guess this is a scene in the pool with a pool table. Yeah, yeah. And, Early on, yeah. And it's like he's like three weeks, and we're still in the same scene, and he's like. He goes over to Kubrick and says, Stanley, I mean, we're still doing this? We're still yeah. <laughs> in the scene? He's like, and Kubrick's like, well, don't you want to get it right? And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, he just was a perfectionist and yeah. he could do that. Is, nobody can do that. Yeah. That's the thing. Nobody, not even, well, I guess Spielberg can, but he yeah. won't. Yeah. Um, can just go, well, I'm going to take, you know, uh, a year to shoot something yeah because i think it was and as the last thing uh, it was the producer went to to kubrick and said we've budgeted out he and the assistant director budgeted out the in terms of schedule mm-hmm. the weeks uh needed for to shoot the film yeah five white shot and it was 20 24 weeks and Kubrick scoffed. And it was like, 24 weeks. He's like, there's two people talking in a room. He's like, we don't need that much. And then he sort of revised the schedule himself to mm-hmm. 18. Yeah. He said it ended up taking a year <laughs> to shoot it. I just like, though, that he didn't <clears throat> scoff like 24. I need, this is a performance. That, I need 30. That's what I thought he was going to say. <laughs> but then he's like, no, we need uh, 18. And you know, because the guy budget or doing the time knows him, going, right. look, we could probably do it in fifteen. Right. I'm gonna say twenty four over pad, and then he comes out eighteen. Yeah, eighteen. And then it's like fifty two. Oh, okay. Do you? It's weird that certain directors have that cachet, because once again, it's not like like Kubrick was an innovative filmmaker, but he wasn't a blockbuster filmmaker. No. Like it's weird that you even have like like I, I guess we can go to more contemporary. It'd be like a Tarantino. So he makes Reservoir Dogs, gets a bunch of buzz, makes Pulp Fiction. That's what makes him who he is. Then he takes time. Then all of a sudden he just has all this just time to afford to just make whatever movie he makes. Where there's the other directors we were talking about where it's like, nope, got to jump on the next one. You know, hoping for that yes. next. Maybe I can get that, not Reservoir Dogs, but maybe I can get that movie that can give me time to make the movie I want to make. Right. It's weird that there are few directors that actually get that weird lucky opportunity to like Tarantino should be technically on his 16th film. It's like I just finished my ninth. You're right. You're and totally it doesn't right. mean you have to like pump one out every year, but in theory he should be like he seemed like he was going to be on a trajectory like he was going to be a one a year type of guy. Like his from his energy. Like I, I always need to work. Absolutely. And yeah. and and the one thing I do like about him is that for exactly that reason he runs counter to what you think he would do. Cuz right, the energy is such that he was going to start churning out these things, and people were clamoring for it. Yeah, you know, and so they wanted it. And he, I think we all know, he's definitely the guy to do that. He's yeah. definitely can churn out something. Yeah. He could be in the old days. No, I, well, now he could yeah. be the Nicholas Cage of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. I was going to say Wesley Snipes because yeah. he, he was getting a movie every month, but like, like Nick Cage, yeah. these two or three movies. 
you probably see two or three trailers a week yeah. of a new Cage movie. Yeah. He can he can churn that out for yeah. sure. Um, and I think he wants to like take the time and to do it. And he's so well versed on cinema, so that I know he's studying the methodology yeah. of these directors and uh, taking the time. And I know probably with Kubrick, who he's talked about, who who hasn't. Yeah. Um, he sort of. Got the green light. Probably, I feel he has the green light to just take his time, yeah, and and do it the way he wants to do it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was early on when he was like, "I'm going to make ten movies and that'll be it in yeah. the next thirty years." Yeah, and it's like, okay, yeah. sure. And I just like that he came up with some random number ten. I'm going to make ten movies. Yeah, okay. It's such a weird thing. It's not like. Thank God a director finally understands what I want from a director. Ten movies only, and then go away. Right. It's such a bizarre, like, just number. I know. He just, I guess he just wants, here's my, you know, canon. Here's my filmography. Yeah. And which he said, here's my filmography. Take that and put it against anyone else's. Yeah. Which is an interesting exercise. Yeah. But um, why not make? 11 12 yeah. 13, 15 you know it's it's and never say you're only it. gonna make 10 because you're gonna make an 11th film no no this isn't part of that movie right. series uh okay because like in the beginning he was turning out scripts yeah. um you know true romance natural born killers but he was also starting directing too yeah you know um well that's what i figured he would do would be like the sort of the spielberg thing where all right i'll give you jurassic park if i can do schindler's list like all his movies would have been his movies but he would do if even if they weren't his script, oh, I'll knock out that movie real quick. I'll knock it. I'll do a Transformers. Be crazy, but then it's like, all right, now here's um, Inglorious Bastards. Then the next movie's like, oh, here's my weird summer movie that someone else wrote <laughs> that I just kind of directed. You right. know, I thought that's kind of like the path he was going to take. Oh, I did a rewrite on this. I I wrote True Romance, so it's like, oh, okay, he's gonna be that guy where. Or even, like, I guess a John Hughes, where John Hughes didn't direct all the John Hughes movies. It's like, oh, I got mm -hmm. Howie Deutsch. So it's like, I'll balance around. You know, I'll just keep writing scripts. But then that just sort of went away to where I'm just going to make a film here and there. Yeah. But I guess he has enough money just to live his life. Yeah. And just do that. So he doesn't have to. He's not a struggling director. Right. Exactly. More than enough. Um, yeah. It's just and th that whole auteur thing. I think that, you know, it's it's fun to be like, okay, I'm controlling everything. I'm controlling story. I'm writing it. I'm directing it. I'm spearheading everything. Yeah. So we're going to do it on my terms. Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe the next movie is something someone else writes. Yeah. I don't know. I think he's toying with that, but I just can't see him doing that. You know? Yeah. So Cause that would just seem so weird. I can't, especially someone like him that wouldn't do a rewrite or, I mean, he could probably make anything his own, right? But it just would probably seem okay. I'm going to direct this thing that this other person wrote, and then he just even if he just rewrites it and doesn't take credit, I had to rewrite that, right? <laughs> and he, in in his direction and everything, he's definitely going to make it his own. Yeah. So, what the final product would be might be looks totally different from what you know you read on the page. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm is just, it really? Yeah, that's why it's just so kind of weird. It's like I'm doing ten, and that just sort of came up after. Was it Inglorious Bastards when he decided to say it was before Hateful Eight? Because that Hateful Eight was the first time I noticed he put a number on the film. Like he started talking about the eighth film. Because I don't remember 
Inglorious Bastard being the seventh film from Canon. No, no, no. That that happened, yeah, later. Yeah. When he started doing that. Because all of a sudden it's like, this is the eighth It was film. the eighth, right. And he was like, okay, I get it. I mean, maybe he does want to just have control of his last film. But it's such a weird thing considering he's like, what, 54? Yeah. Or something. <laughs> I know. Um, and then he wants to get to like writing, you know, which he does right now, contemporary literary criticism, uh, film criticism, mm-hmm. and maybe TV, maybe some other things, yeah. but not, you know, he just got married, so he wants to do the family thing. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, I mean, I think he's he's fine to go off into myth and legend land. Yeah. Um, and just bask in that. Yeah. And maybe he's fine to do that. You know, I mean, it's, it's such a weird place to be that, uh, most people don't get to. And, mm. you know, he could, he could do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he could just retire after that and just, yeah. maybe he makes one more just for fun, you know? Yeah. It's my 11th one, but you know, it's my, my second epilogue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for us, when we grew up, like, I guess... I feel like, once again, maybe because I just don't know current directors or the status of current directors, but I feel like Tarantino might have... It feels like the last legacy director of like a that style, like, I guess, filmmaker. He doesn't make movies. He makes films. He makes <laughs> because, I mean, think about, like, who's who are the kids, the, the kids going to uh, film school now? Who are they looking up to? Obviously, you're always going to look up to who everyone looks up into film, but, like... Who are they like getting into film because of, you know, because there are people that probably right. wouldn't start going to film school because of Tarantino. And there's probably still people that go to film school because of Tarantino yeah. Spielberg. They see that movie and it's like, that's why I want to go to film school. Who's the person now that who just saw like Reservoir Dogs? Who's Reservoir Dogs now that they went, I want to be a filmmaker? Like who's making that film now? Like who who's who are these people? Because um, John, John's got his finger on the pulse. So I figured John yeah. knows everything. <laughs> No, I mean it's 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 a great question. I mean, of the time, I think Quentin Tarantino is sort of linked to all of these other guys that we're talking about in the sense that he he was the next wave. Yeah, and and he really really studied them, you yeah. know, um, to the nth degree. Now, I mean, you have, uh, you know, even though he's a bit older now, but like Wes Anderson, yeah. he he has his his visual style yeah. and stamp on a movie. I think you're getting, you're sort of getting into filmmaking from a different today, like a kid today who's, you know, 15. I'll just go back to when yeah. I was like, yes, I'm going to be a movie maker. Say a 15 year old kid now who's like, I'm going to go to film school because of, it's not necessarily because of this filmmaker anymore. Mm -hmm. It's morphed into, I'm going to make YouTube videos. I'm going to, um, guava juice is my turn. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I mean, or, you know, it's more of like you, you, you have the technology to sort of make stuff now. And I think that that's sort of, the reason why people get into stuff and they don't necessarily get into stuff to make movies but to make digital content and that digital content can can go from youtube videos to you know shorts to web yeah web content to to to, to movies but now it's about putting out you know yeah putting out content um yeah because that 15 year old now would be have been born in 2004 I know. I was trying to yeah. think about that. Um, so they would have, you know, obviously, maybe they really get into film at 12 
you know, so that's three years ago, or maybe maybe a little younger. Let's go ten. Mm-hmm. So 2014. Like, who are they seeing? And and it's not like yeah, like Wes Anderson's good, but Wes Anderson wasn't too far from like Wes Anderson's. What was when was Bottle Rocket? Bottle Rocket was the late 90s, or yeah. So I, I mean, I say but I would say Wes. I would say Wes Anderson's later part of the career more than anyone else yes, because yeah. not like not that bottle rocket wasn't it but he started getting his visual style more in the 2000s right and then even sophia coppola you know it's like oh right virgin suicides her her style or something but that's still 2004 i just maybe 2002 i don't know when virgin suicides. i'm just, gonna find out it's like 98 <laughs> yeah i just recently watched it um and it's just amazing to think oh i remember when this came out way back when yeah but who's that filmmaker now there are those sort of like she's sort of like even though coppola's her father she's that indie filmmaker she wanted to be yeah you know that indie filmmaker i don't know like i'm just trying to think of who would be what what filmmaker is going to make a film and then when they put it out you go oh my god i can't wait to right this person's film comes out uh, Tarantino obviously is probably the top one, but you know Wes Anderson. He he also doesn't make a movie, but every yeah so often either, and so they're just different you know pieces like a collection yeah. of like an art collection where it's like oh we have this is the new yeah not putting him on this level but like the new Picasso is coming even though Picasso was prolific yeah um, putting the new Picasso out or something yeah. where people are just like clamoring for this is something yeah. we're going to study this is something this is not the new uh zach snyder yeah movie you know which you know i mean there's someone going to be like yeah that's going to be someone's like someone's going to love zach snyder no and that's of, going of to course be, like i think of course any director can be someone's inspiration to go to film school but it's it's more of like what hit with everyone i guess the i guess the last because he was a little older uh who did gravity and um Quaron, Quaron, yeah, yeah, like, and Roma, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Definitely. I feel like he would be, but it's it's just a weird though because he isn't the young hotshot. That's the like thing. I think there's no. If you're talking about the young hotshot, I'm just trying to figure out who that but is. Quaron, where... but he also had a later start. Even though maybe there was stuff that he did that we didn't see, but yeah, you know, there was, it seemed like he was doing. Oh, here's Gravity. Here's like he's sort of on his own schedule as well. No, no, absolutely. I mean, and and I guess the guys that we're talking about are you know always have that that through line if they're yeah. always on their own schedule yeah. uh, right he's another one where you were like okay who's in, in yachty to the um the revenant the um one of my favorite directors um like what's what's he doing next yeah who's a contemporary of quaron they yeah. sort of came out together uh in their third partner in the three amigos is uh del toro right so <clears throat> You know, it's all you have these guys, but they're not the young hot shot. Right. They've always been grinding, but they they had to grind to get to the point where they can make a movie at their own terms. Whereas, like some directors, sort of automatically, it's like they did one, and it's like now I'm on my own terms. It's like, wait, how'd that happen? You know. Then you had some other ones. It's like, well, I had to grind a little bit. Now I'm on my own terms. Like I would even yeah. say, like. Uh, mark romantic he sort of you know i had to do aliens three and i had to do this and then finally i had the one movie now i can do my own thing right mark he started out in um music videos videos and which i loved his music videos were great which which i i i did too because as far as music videos goes 
like he's right that's what you want and so i was a little i guess snobbish yeah because i was like oh he's going into movies now uh this is the he's guy gonna, that's telling a three minute yeah. story he's gonna tell right. a two hour story good luck with yeah, that yeah exactly like, he's gonna tank <laughs> and then aliens 3 came out and it's like it's, it's, okay. it's okay it's just it wasn't a good movie which had nothing to do with no it, it didn't and he's like really visual which is what i i like but you're also following um, aliens right. you know that's the thing it's like you're following alien and aliens here's aliens 3 hmm Eh. It's true. It's true. I mean, I think that had more to do with the legacy of that movie, That's and not true. him as a, right. a director. Right. Another music video guy who uh, is great, who I look forward to, uh, is Spike Jones. Yes. Um, Another great. Yeah. Is just his visual style now. He's like a creative force, and yeah. he's you know deep into um, Vice and all that kind of stuff. But really really interesting stuff that he's doing you know but who's like the the, the scorsese of today i just think that the the landscape has changed yeah so that what gets if you go to film school class a new fresh crop of students in the fall what will you find if you just went around the room and said you know why are you here who are your inspirations you know you'd get a lot of the tarantinos and the spielbergs and the you know, some people have uh, Hitchcock and Kubrick and Godard and all these people. But rare, rarely would I believe that. I mean, yeah. I think it's just... Yeah, you're going to look at them because you're going to... If you love films, you're going to look back going, oh, wow, they were making interesting things. But, yeah, I don't know. Is someone, like, just going to, like, not try to feel all, like, oh, well, I got to feel superior to everyone. Uh, Hitchcock, but only early Hitchcock. Oh, all right, 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 you know. Is someone going to be... James Wan. I loved Aquaman. <laughs> I was going to mention. You know, like, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with Aquaman or James Wan. He's a, a great, good director. But it's like someone going, Doberman. I love the Conjuring universe. You know. Yeah. And and, and depending on what film school um, you go to, I won't mention any names, yeah. but certain film schools are geared to more, to more Hollywood yeah. type uh, movies. Not, not necessarily the one I went to. Or maybe. Most likely, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just, um, but there's a mixture of everything from yeah. experimental to independent to like uh, I just want to blow up stuff, which I loved. Yeah, you know, I'll just say it. Yeah, say you know, USC does um, attract a wide range of of interests and styles of yeah. you know filmmakers. You know, I think the when I went, it was like there were some apologet- unapologetic uh, contemporaries of mine who. Was like, we're like, I just straight want to explode stuff and you know, car chases, and uh, that's that's what I want to do. Yeah, like that's why I'm here. That's what I like. It's you know, Star Wars short, shirt three days of the week, um, close encounter shirt the other uh, four days, right. and it's like the these are my gods, right? You know, and it's like great, you yeah. know, um, all these people are from here the people yeah. who made those movies are from here yeah. um so welcome home yeah and it's like i feel like today it's like you know when did you start making movies you ask these kids that and yeah, that's going to be the biggest difference. and then and then they'll go four yeah. or three when you know i downloaded this app and yeah. i could you know edit stuff yeah. on my thing um and that's why i'm here you know so i can just Maybe I can get into movies or something, yeah. but 
they may not be that film literate. Yeah. Which I honestly don't think you have to be. Um, you just have to be um, focused, you know, on your craft and, and, and try to get better and really study it. Um, you know, I was watching this trailer to um, Spike Lee's Masterclass, and, you know, he does say this thing where I, I agree. And this is the guy who's an artistic director at NYU. He says, you don't have to, in no way will he ever tell anybody that they have to go to film school to be a filmmaker. And I don't think you do either. You right. know, I, I think you do need to be a student of, of film yeah. and to get it right. You know, yeah. you just can't just pick up a camera and go shoot and think that and be not cognizant of film language and anything like that in terms of shooting. I mean, there's a lot of different tools, a lot of different color palettes. There's a lot of different uh, paint brushes that you can use to make the movie to make to get the message across the way you want to in so many different ways you know the way kubrick i don't want to get into all that, <laughs> but the way the way kubrick uses color in um uh his movies but particularly uh, eyes wide shut it's just like if you go back and watch the scene in the bedroom between nicole kidman and tom cruise when they're smoking the joint mm -hmm. Um, you see these colors, you see these stark colors is orange. I think it is blue. Mm -hmm. And if you go and see, and you really pay attention to what's, and it's all behind them. Like mm -hmm. when we were on Nicole Kidman, I think we see blue and sometimes we see orange and depending on what she's saying, depending on the way she feels that color changes. Um, and, and it foreshadows what's going to happen um, throughout the film. And it's just like those sort of touches mm -hmm. are great. Um, you know, they go into your subconscious. It's one of those things, those, one of those tools in film that people don't use mm -hmm. often. And particularly I'm talking to indie filmmakers because, you know, if your gripe is that I don't have, yeah, it's a rich man's, rich person's art. Um, if your gripe is that, you know, you don't have the budget, you don't have the money. I mean, he put a color up, which is like probably a gel yeah. and some light, and that's it. And just certain little touches that don't cost much money yeah. you can put into your film that just makes it sort of sing in a way, because it's art, yeah. that um, you wouldn't think so. It's not just going out and pointing a camera at two people, watching them talk. And sometimes it is, but it could be more. I mean, there's yeah. so much more involved in it. Yeah. Um, and each department can tell a story, yeah. can tell the story and can add to the story. So I think, you know, those who don't go to film school and, and aren't students, you know, you, you can sort of see, see that. Now yeah. your first stuff, the first films may be, you know, of a, a quality that's not great, but if you, de if you're developing, you yeah. can you can really see that you can see you know where you kind of look at stuff and say okay I should have done that there I should have maybe um, held on that shot a little more or I should have been tighter there should have been wider there um, you know I saw a short recently where it's just like oh tighten up. oh should have been wider should have been ah why did why is this anamorphic yeah. it's just it's just like uh it's just it was frustrating and you know not to mention the story was 
I don't think was there, but um, visually, yeah. you know, as far as like technically us being in post, yeah. it done very well. Beginning, uh, middle, and end. Yeah, <laughs> beginning, middle, and end done like shot. As far as the quality of the image, I mean, very professional. Yeah. But I felt it could have been, you know, it's just, just certain things. certain things in the yeah. shots. You know, if if he had done this or done that, you know, I'd have felt you know like I was in the world a little more. Like yeah. I like I felt like I wanted to be. That said, you know, I'm always <clears throat> into a filmmaker doing something on purpose to sort of get us yeah. somewhere. And I'm trying to think if, you know, for for instance, in this particular film where things are too tight, if they were trying to convey a sense of, you know, claust- being claustrophobic or anything like yeah. that, like that is done to great effect in The Graduate. Um, but I just didn't feel that. Yeah. And so I feel like, you know, you could just sort of tell who's like a student in film. Not not who went yeah. to film school, but yeah. just just who's like learning about the f- the language of yeah. film and respecting that, you know. Because I think a lot of times people sort of look at, you know, I know ever since I was a kid I've heard, you know, people looking at actors and going, well, I can do that. Yeah. If I can get to Hollywood, I can I can be on Friends. I can, yeah. I can deliver these lines. I yeah. could do that for sure. You know, of course, everybody can do that. You yeah. know, no, no, nobody goes to a hospital and sees a doctor, you know, suture somebody up after surgery and goes, I can do that. Just get me Sewing. in there. Sewing. Exactly. Sew. <laughs> exactly. Just get me in there. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. But if you really look into what it takes to make, and this is a huge tangent. If you really look into what it takes to make a movie, I mean, we see it all the time. Uh, this is our jobs. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes yeah. into it. Um, a lot of work and it just everybody who realizes how much and they go wow I just never knew all these people and all this went into what I'm watching on screen yeah you know I kind of thought it was just get the camera and point and shoot not necessarily that simple but it's it's just another another level a lot of smart people come together on um, on these films no matter no matter what you're watching if you're watching Planera or whatever. It's just like you, you, you got to have some dedicated people. Yeah, really get on this, and it's like it's it's a collaborative art. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, yeah, I can get two people and go shoot something with a camera, but at the end of the day, if I really wanted to get it to where I need it, you right. know, I'm gonna I'm gonna need a lot of people, and um, that's another skill working with other people yeah. and getting your vision across. Um, you know, just trying to do that. I mean, that's something I had to learn in film school. Just trying to, I have like very, I'm very visual and I have like a sort of odd sort of imaginative style mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm trying to get like the art department to recreate something that's in my mind. Right. You know, and I can draw it out. I can do all this stuff. But at the end of the day, if they're going to build sets, if they're going to paint sets, if they're going to do what I need them to do, it's a tall order. Yeah. It's a tall order for me to look at it and go, yes, that's what I was thinking. And I learned to do it, but I also had some really, really good people yeah. who took that and who were probably used to hearing these kinds of things and deciphering the whole code that you're giving them, and they make something. And a lot of times, you know, they make it better. And so that's why you have all these department heads that are really talented is because they want to tell you want them to tell a story but you want them to use their expertise to tell the story and hopefully um 
whatever's in your brain, you know, comes out, you know, better when they get through <laughs> with it. So, yeah. and it's like, that's, that's amazing. And that's yeah. why you do it. You know, um, you know, there are some directors who are just like, no, it needs to be like this, like probably Kubrick. Yeah. You know, um, he probably doesn't want anything I said to square. be better. That is square. No square. Exactly. I, I, square-er? I don't know what you need. You're like, I don't even know what a square is anymore. Yeah, wow. like you've done it so much. Like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> start doubting yourself. This is square, right? And you start asking 40 people. Yeah, that's a square. But it's not a Kubrick square. <laughs> a perfect square. I remember having to watch... It's tough watching these silent movies. Because when the... When the theater's comfortable and you know it's air conditioned in LA and it's hot outside and it's dark and there's no sound it's like oh hard to stay awake but Kubrick film watching a Kubrick film silent um, just for the visuals and to see how he uses these sort of principles I learned in this class these artistic principles and he's you know he's a still photographer like so these these principles are from you know painting and art and stuff like that but sort of transfer into um uh, still photography as well and then motion photography and he uses all these and there are certain certain shots where their heads need to be at a certain place in the frame things need to be at a certain place in the frame and he would take and take and take and take and take until obviously the performance is there but also graphically it lined up the way it needed to line up um there was one particular that um always stays with me it's in like uh the shining when um is it scatman crothers is talking to the kid talking to danny Mm -hmm. and he's asking him you know do you like ice cream in the kitchen and he bends down to talk to him mm-hmm. but the way in the sh- in the scene the way he has it in Kubrick shot in i think this academy aperture he didn't shoot wide he didn't shoot 185 right. so um he wanted to do that cuz he wanted to compose the shots in a certain way when he bends his head down to talk to Danny he bends his head and his head is at the exact point of convergence in the scene mm-hmm. He had to bend down and be in that exact spot. Like he couldn't anywhere else in the frame. Like if he was anywhere else, it would look different. But it was most powerful there. And in that moment, we needed him to sort of recognize that this boy has the shining. Yeah. And that's really what that was about. And that gave that shot a lot more power. And it's just because of the design and the cuts within the the room. I yeah. mean, you can do this in any room. The point of like where all those. Um, points converge you know his head he wasn't there first but he bent down his head to that exact point and um it's 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 often used Mm -hmm. but it's uh it's one of those those shots with the lens and everything that's you know it sort of sticks out because like oh i see he's actually moving his head to that exact point and it's just like where you put the camera where you put the actors in the room you know it's not always about being organic it's also yeah. about where um where in the room is this is this in the framing and in the background and the colors and everything where where is this going to get the most where we're going to uh extract the most power out of this yeah. for this ex- exact moment right and so you have to like think about those things it doesn't cost any money to think about those things yeah. but if you just put a little more into it and like really 
really cognizant of all sort of the, like the principles that are being used. You know, one thing I heard a classmate of mine said, just think about the, the films that you like, the films that move you and just think about why and look at them and sort of study them in that way to say, why does this have an effect on me? It had effect on you because of a reason, you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. You don't even like the story, like the actors, but like there's something else going on in the film. So try to see why that is, which I thought was yeah, no, it's, great advice. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's definitely going to be things you watched as a kid that you go back to going, Oh, that was terrible. Then there's going to be the some that you go back to and you love, and it's like those are the ones you you study. Because yeah, I'm just, there's still some that are probably you just like because of nostalgia. For sure. And you, it's like this is terrible. Right. Like, I'll watch this every <laughs> yeah, yeah. day. You know. Yeah. But it sounds like John basically just justified his two hundred thousand dollar film school. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you put it in those uh, terms. It's like yeah, I guess I, I, I guess. just justified it. So everyone go to film school. Goddamn. <laughs> No, that it all, um, I mean, everything has a reason, but the good ones will stick out for that type of stuff. And that's probably why, you know, those, all those films, that's why people go to film schools for all those reasons without subconsciously or without knowing, but it's on a subconscious level. Right. You know, it's like, oh, I love this film. Why is it? I mean, it's just a dumb story. Like you think of like even Eyes Wide Shut is just an okay story. I love that movie. It's, Visually, it is a stunning movie. Yeah, and it's and it's yeah, it's not a story that you haven't seen before, yeah. but it's the way it's done, the way it's sort of presented, and it's just like this is Kubrick. Yeah, and nothing about it is like, well, I haven't really seen this kind of no, but yeah, it's just the way that it's he told it in a way that made it new, even though it's just a story overall. But visually, it is that is yeah, that's probably one of the few movies that you could watch without sound and there's a lot others but like that one because you're just looking at every scene you're like i was even watching it when i sat in theater like wow look at that and then it was just like zoned out on how great everything looked yeah because you just rarely at that point that was almost like seeing an older film new for the first time because Mm -hmm. you were seeing a kubrick film which he doesn't do that often and gave you such an old style filmmaking Right. Like, so you're seeing it in the theater in a different aspect ratio because he wasn't shooting, you know, he was, you know, the two, three, five or whatever. Right. Like he wasn't giving you this big cinematic movie. He was giving you a cinematic movie, but in his terms. Right. Here's my movie. Enjoy it. Totally. Exactly. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, st- <laughs> there's a story of, I forget which movie it was. Um, it may have been The Shining. Is in in Kubrick lived in London. He was in London at the time, and this was the old man's Chinese mm-hmm. theater. And um, they were showing his movie that night. Uh, maybe in The Shining, maybe in Full Metal Jacket. I forget which one it was. They're showing the movie. This is opening night. The theater gets a call. It's like Mister Mister Kubrick's on the line. Oh, okay. And uh, he goes. The sound's too loud in the theater. Turn it down uh, a little bit. And, you know, they did. Yeah. But it was like he had, I don't know who he had there yeah. listening, but this is this is sort of the control that he had from, you know, wherever he was over his films. Yeah. And it was like, wow, he's calling from London. So that means he had to have some, at that time, have someone there sort of monitoring how loud the sound was. 
um, in the theater. And if it wasn't, you know, got back to him. And so he made that call. And it was like, wow. So, yeah, that's the thing. He was probably never happy with the final result. Because you can't control every theater. Yeah, you know? exactly. So that's the, that's got to be... For someone like him, that would have been tough because it's like, you know, especially the way they transfer films now and do everything. It's like, I couldn't imagine, you know, just having that much. Like, I mean, it's like, no, it's supposed to look like this. It's supposed to be that. And then you go to the theater and it's like, you you can't control this anymore. <laughs> He's just calling all right. the theaters. <laughs> like he has someone everywhere. It's like, oh, you got to call Des Moines now. Right. <laughs> exactly. Your brightness is up to one. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. He's always on the phone. He's like mixing there. Hold on. You right. got to have the perfect thing. Turns it off. No. Blind. <laughs> it's like, we don't want to exhibit his films anymore. That's another thing. It's like, I don't know how... He could release it. I mean, it's amazing how he could release a movie. I mean, when is it done? Yeah. You know, is it really done? I mean, anybody who's like on the first shot of Eyes Wide Shut, you know, 93 takes it's or more. It's just like if you take anywhere from 85 to 105 takes on each shot in the edit, bay like how yeah. when you can really just do everything yeah. i mean he wasn't really uh beholden to any schedule i mean but imagine him edit now like even if say he goes digital or he stays film but imagine going into the editorial where you can't do anything at that moment yeah i don't like that move them okay literally cutting yeah. pasting like literally just yeah. hodgepodging it until it's like the best version of that movie yeah it's it's almost like he he helped he's helped by the technology of old yeah. because it's like here it is cuz in his mind though sort of like hitchcock like he got it right like he was he didn't stop until he got it right so when he gets in hopefully when you get into the edit bay it's like well obviously the circle takes are the takes that i want yeah. i mean not that he doesn't yeah. use the other ones but the circle takes are the takes that i want and this is how it's going to work yeah. and it probably worked almost all the time. Yeah, I'd be curious on how, I'm sure there's something, how close the film was to what he imagined on that editor's assembly. Especially if usually they always worked with the same editor. Mm -hmm. So it's like, all right, well, here's all the circles. And obviously it's not, you know, all right, circle that one, circle that one. You know, there's the finesse. Of right, it. But right. I just wonder how close the editor's cut was to what he visioned. Obviously, once you see it as a whole, then you realize you know what scenes you can take away. But I just wonder how close it was. Like, all right, here's the two-hour version. And he watches the, you know, all right, just make these trims. We're done. I know he's too much of a perfectionist, but, I, like, how close was right. it? And did he ever go, you know, go back to take two. I know he did 93, but number two was the I one. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's a good question. I don't know. Do you, do you watch all the – you can't watch all the takes. I mean, I, especially just... if you see that you're, you're the editor. 93, and he circled the last three. Well, those have to be the ones he wants. I'm not going to watch – Maybe I'll watch the first one to see where he started, where his mind was. Yeah. Then you see the last one, you're like, okay, I know what he's going for. Because I, I, how do you? That would spend ninety percent of your time. Right. Have you cut today? No. Still on dailies. You know, I'm still watching dailies. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, he, he. I'm sure he had a you know a, a method by which, um, and I think a lot of these people stay with him through life. Yeah. A method by which he needed to to, to do this to make the film and. I think there was a studio, so it's, there was some sort of yeah. delivery schedule. So yeah. 
he had to get him out and it had to be important to him important enough to him to get these things out because he got them out yeah um obviously he made one every few years yeah but he did get these these movies out um from his cold dead hand yeah he's, he's <laughs> just literally <laughs> holding on to the film no <laughs> it's, i could see that one more pass <laughs> All right. Well, that was uh, film school too, I guess. Uh, yeah. And go to film school apparently, because John needs to justify <laughs> why he spent all his money. <laughs> uh, go watch watch every film. Yes. But then rewatch the ones you like the most. Yeah. And then remake that film yourself, and then realize how hard it is. And do that. And then D- D- Disney will re- remake it too. Yeah. And then uh, Disney will do a live action yeah. version <laughs> of your film. All right. Uh, this has been Post Apocalyptic. This is Rob. This is John. Take it easy. Oh,